listening to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Friday afternoon, and I'm super psyched to welcome back to the studio Karen Co, our co-host for the Agenda Cafe. Karen, how are you doing? I'm great, and it's great to be back for our third season. Fourth, fourth season. I'm, oh my I'm gosh. just making it up. Okay. Fifth. I think it's our third season, but anyway, feels long. The numbers don't really matter. <laughs> yeah, so very excited because you you were away for a long time, and so we didn't do any shows since June last year. So it's really great to be back and on Valentine's Day. That's right. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day to you and to our wonderful guest Anna, who's uh, sitting next to you. We are on Facebook Live as well, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio Three. And the reason why Anna's here is because we've got one big topic uh, for our listeners today. Karen, what are we talking about yeah. this afternoon? So it is Valentine's Day, the day of love. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting because I remember this time last year we did the Agenda Cafe and we talked about making love last. Today we're talking about love and relationships in a kind of extreme way. We're talking about love and relationship addiction. So um, this is... This is a thing. It's, it doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to enough people for it to be a problem. And Anna is joining us, Anna Fenton, and Anna is the head counsellor at The Cabin Hong Kong, which is an outpatient uh, addiction treatment centre. Anna is also a regular contributor to RTHK. So it's I great am. to have you come and I talk am. about something other than politics or something <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> news. Break from <laughs> news. Exactly. So first of all, I just wanted to get your, Anna, your thoughts and Noz, also your thoughts on uh, Valentine's Day and the whole symbolism of it and and how we experience it and celebrate it these days I don't really celebrate Valentine's Day it's you know I always think if it was a real holiday we'd get the day off so you know sorry to break this it's not a real holiday yeah no, thinking, uh, my my own memories of it are as a child that it was very very much active uh, in my kind of uh, adolescent days, and um, the number of cards you got in your hymnal going into church in in school in the mornings uh, was was key, and it was a very much a. Children seem to be very sold on it, and I think then it, it feeds into all our romantic uh, dreams as we get older and our fantasies about uh, uh, knights in shining armor on white horses and all that. Uh, thing that is, uh, you know, fostered and, and encouraged by television and romantic movies and Bridget Jones and everything else. Yeah, I mean, I think I, when I was younger, I used to think it was it was a nice way to mark one day and, and go out and have a special dinner and all that kind of thing. But as I get older, I just feel like it's just so commercial. And it's an industry, um, and I do agree with you in terms of kids and school kids. They will at schools. They will organise, you know, send a Valentine's to somebody, send a flower, or send a rose, or something like that. Mm. Um, and after a while, I think it just becomes too much of the, the, you know, the symbols, and not really much about you know the meaning at all. And I think it's a bit like likes counting likes on on Facebook. Yes. You know, how many cards did you get? Yeah, it becomes a popularity contest. And it's almost yeah. like in the old days, you know, when we when there were some secretaries instead of computers, that, that you know, it was a competition who got the most uh, bouquets and this sort of thing. But exactly. restaurants love a bit of Valentine's Day special. They do sometimes two seatings as right. well, so six thirty to eight thirty, and then eight thirty to ten. So it really is a big yeah. uh, sort of business Re- ploy. Restaurants, florists, cards. Um, you know, now fruit basket deliverers or whatever so yeah I, I just feel like it's it's very commercial so not so into it but let's let's move on to our topic I mean 
Um, Anna, can you describe to us what exactly is love and relationship addiction? Okay, well, love and relationship addiction, and could I broaden it to include romance too, please? Uh, like any other addiction, it's, it's when um, our own reality becomes intolerable and we look for things in the outside envi environment to kind of self-medicate our own uncomfortable feelings, which is what any kind of addiction is fundamentally. Um, to backtrack a little, it helps with love addiction to look back to family of origin because you'll nearly always find a problem with attachment to one or both caregivers and therefore as a result of that, um, a self-worth a self issue for the child, a self-esteem issue, which they grow up with a belief that they're not good enough, that there's something wrong with them and that they need to get care from outside of themselves. It's not coming from the places they could expect nurture from their parents, from their caregivers. So you have an intimacy disorder already combined with this attachment problem. So unless they're seeing very strong, healthy attachment in their parents, th th there's, there's fertile ground here for problems when you're older. Mm. So are you saying that people who suffer from this um, feel like they need to be with someone else to make themselves yes. complete. They're feel... half of they're the half of the apple that's going around looking for the other half in life, believing they need somebody else to meet their needs, validate them, make them feel good, and give them confidence because they haven't developed the skill of self care of giving themselves that feeling of self esteem. Yeah. Um, what are some of the indicators of of someone who's addicted to love, who's a love addict? Oh, we all know them. Uh, they are the ones who fall instantly in love right away. Um, Head over heels. Yes. I've met my soulmate. They haven't mate, even kind. what we call qualified the buyer. They haven't even stopped to think, is he a nice guy? And, and they are mostly, I have to say, but not all, ladies. Mm. It, this would tend to be the, the, the female side of things. Not always, though, and it's also for same-sex relationships. So they will tend to look for the solution to their problems externally in another person. And they, they pick up this picture of their fantasy knight in shining armor and plop it onto the head of their target. And the other person, they often pick somebody who appears powerful, but is also appearing very charming and very, on the surface, lovable. But there's another story there. They're attracted to a very specific type of pretty much usually unavailable person. Hmm. And so it's this, so this would be the type of person who cannot, uh, always has a, a boyfriend, for example, or gets out of one relationship and immediately goes into Oh, absolutely, one. because they go into withdrawal. Remember, their lover is a drug. So if that drug is removed, and often they become so intense and needy because they need this adoration and this intimacy that, that no partner could live up to this, this dream. So they often find that they have love-avoidant partners who would tend to run away from them. Now, when they run, the love addict runs after them even harder and becomes needy and clingy and does desperate things and so yeah and it's so normal because when somebody chases after you in a playground you'll run away from yeah, them and the same they, in the they, relationship they can't live with the withdrawal so what do they do they look for another rescuer which is normally in the guise of another relationship mm. so they tend to like you said they tend to attract people who are sort of lovable on the surface but actually deep down are a little bit unavailable instead of attracting the type that you know sometimes you attract the type who want to help and solve other people's problems so mm. if a love addict was to meet somebody who would be willing to solve problems and they would be a good match? Kind of. Um, 
but the, somehow the, they there's just there's a kind don't... of a velcro thing going on here and once they they would tend to get enmeshed with let's call it a guy for the for the purposes of this with a guy who on the outward side is also from the outward appearance is very very keen on being intimate too but that's kind of a sham what they really are into is intensity not intimacy and it's a good thing to hold that thought intensity and intimacy are not the same thing so they like the drama of the relationship they're also attracted to someone who loves them now they would tend to come from a background of what we call enmeshment with a parent so typically if you have a mom who has kind of surrogated you uh, as her number one son and become very close to you when you're a child you have this privileged position growing up with your mom you're her you're her confidant if if dad is not fulfilling mom's needs mom can easily reach out to a son and make him her surrogate if you like husband not not in a sexual way necessarily sure. but just the head of yeah. the family and that, type. that son then becomes the parent to the mom emotionally so his needs are not being met but he has this privileged position so often he grows up with a very strong paradox going on and that he's drawn to needy women because that gave him a feeling of self-esteem when he was an adolescent but at the same time he fears enmeshment and being claustrophobic and smothered which he also got from his mother so when he hooks up with Miss Love Avoidant who's all after intimacy and terrified of abandonment he also quite likes the intimacy um, uh, and has a little bit of abandonment uh, but he doesn't like the real intimacy because it reminds him of that enmeshment it brings up all those old feelings so he heads for the hills and then the love addict runs after him right so wow. that type of guy uh, how would you describe them I mean, oh on the outside he can be mr. charming well just look at Prince Charming there you have it you know the princess is woken up from her dream by Prince Charming and everything is perfect so he's the guy who she believes or he will uh, fill the hole in my life will get rid of the the pain of my loneliness of my f my childhood fears my my inability to like and love and care for myself he's going to meet my needs plus some the only person who doesn't know this is him mm, can we okay. go through some of the qualities of a love addict i mean usually they are people with sort of abandonment issues or low self-esteem what are some of the qualities that 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 they have abandonment is a big word when we say that abandonment can mean any kind of adverse childhood experience this can lead to what we now call developmental trauma with a small t not not the big bad stuff but stuff that leaves us feeling less than nurtured and leaves us with less than the confidence to to meet our own needs and have our own self-esteem now remember self-esteem is not a thing it's an activity we indulge in activities which esteem self which is self-caring and then we understand that we live in reality now these little girls or little boys who don't have that ability to do it for themselves because their parents didn't really help them with this and grow up not knowing how to do that so they have a very impaired sense of reality so they they believe the fantasy they believe the knight in shining armor they believe the dream the hero will rescue me so that's what they're looking for so I hate to say we need to start talking about internet dating here because this feeds this so these girls instead of getting to know the guy and thinking is he a nice guy and keeping their heart in a box they jump right in this causes all kinds of problems they jump into bed far too quick with the guy they take stupid risks remember they're addicted to the affection so they're, they're going somebody to have, shows them that they're affection. Going to have yes. dangerous and then you've got the guy yeah. sitting there oh great she doesn't even want me to wear a condom woohoo yeah, yeah. And, she and so even want to know who I am exactly yeah. but she's thinking I'll do anything to get and keep this drug which is this attention and this love and adoration because I need it it's an addiction
Actually, Anna, when you say that it is an addiction, I mean, we all know that during attachment that there are brain chemicals mm. released that make us feel good. Is that also what's happening, that they're actually going through some physiological um, addiction to the The pattern for this is set early in life. When we would start fantasizing a little girl about maybe I have, you know, got my daddy issues or whatever they are, and, and it can be many things, even bullying, somebody will come in and rescue me. Now, when we make vivid pictures in our minds, we will tend to have an in a release of, of, of pleasurable uh, hormones like and, and neurotransmitters such as endorphins and dopamine. Now these are the body's natural uh, mood changers yeah. and, and the dopamine is excitement, right? That's pleasure and uh, pleasure rising in uh, anticipation of good things to come. So it's a pretty heady cocktail. Now we train ourselves in kids to be escapists. I'm sure we all daydream to some extent right. in class. This is an extreme form of this. This is fantasy for escaping from my discomfort. So we become very good at this. And then as adults, of course, we re-trigger all this with Prince Charming because here he is for real, only he's not. So, so can they, uh, do any of these people recognize this in themselves? Can they objectively look at this, themselves and say, I seem to have this problem of not being able to ever be on my own and falling in love too quickly or always being with the wrong person who then doesn't actually want me? Aha, that's a good question. Denial runs high in this as with all addiction because a lot of people lack the awareness. A lot of people have an inbuilt loyalty to their family unit and don't want to look critically at it. You know, we really don't want to look back and go, actually, my childhood sucks. We want to go, oh, my childhood was so happy. Even in therapy, the most terrible case will come into me and I'll say, so tell me a bit about your childhood. Oh, I was very happy. It was great. I go, well, really? Uh, and then we unpick it and we find out it was it was less than great. But of course, they have nothing to compare it with because they were only living in their own household. So they don't really know what other people were having. Mm. So... Oh, it's it's a sad situation, but awareness of it varies. Most people, and I'll give you a, an example of somebody, um, internet is, is very bad for this because it allows the fantasy to grow in the absence of knowing the real person. You've uh, This is a typical case. Jumps on a plane to go and meet somebody that they've only been chatting to online for a few weeks and then gets there with a whole bunch of promises online and finds that it, it wasn't that at all when they get there and the person is nothing like they anticipated. But they might have given up, sounds crazy, but this happens, given up their life, their home, their job, to race off and marry this person on the other side of the world on, on a wing and a dream. And then they get there and it's tragic for them. And they're then in heartbreak and withdrawal and everything else and isolation in a foreign country. And this is real. Now, those people, in my experience, wake up and smell the coffee quite quickly. But it tends to depend on your good friends who will take you aside and go, you know, this is your pattern. This is what you keep doing. Time to take a break and, and build up your own ability to esteem yourself and take care of yourself. You don't need to jump into needy relationship after needy relationship. Yeah. And the other side of the coin, of course, is how do you know if you're in a relationship with someone who's a love addict? Is it if somebody calls you and texts you all the time or, or you know, checks up on you? I mean, what are some of the... the, the this is what's called uh, anxious preoccupation occupied attachment style. Now that's one of the attachment styles that we would see in relationships. And if anxious preoccupied is the person who calls the business person seven times in an hour and leaves equal, uh, increasingly annoyed WhatsApps going, uh, you know, I've sent you this many messages and you haven't replied. Where are, where you? are you? What are you doing? Mm. You know, where were you at lunch? That's that's what we're dealing with. Someone who needs constant reassurance because remember they fear abandonment because that's what they had in childhood.
Yeah, I'm just thinking during my maternity leave, I did call my husband about five times, but you know, I, I in was an just, hour, <laughs> in a day, I was just you know not knowing really what to do with myself and just yeah, in, in a bit and of it flux, happens, right? It, yeah. it, and it happens, and suddenly yeah. I'm like, oh, who is this? You know, I'm so used to not talking the whole day yes. when I'm at work, um, full time, but when I suddenly realized, I was like, oh, maybe I'm calling him a bit too much. And, and so, did he make any comment about it, or he you just like, realized? Well, he, he did say, oh, um, well, why don't you just go out for a walk? You know, take the baby out for, for a walk. I think he sensed that I was feeling a bit sort of, mm, you know, wobbly and needy. Right. Yeah, and that's understandable because your hormones are all bouncing over the around. place. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks. It makes me feel a bit better, but still. Oh, it, really? It, you know, that, we rec- that's as you normal. were saying all but of this that. Is not, yeah. You're not doing it obsessively every day. Yeah. No. You see, what not happens yet. is your love, your partner in that situation is going to actually retreat from that because he, he, he can't deal with this onslaught of neediness. But unfortunately, and this is where we get into the, the stuff of, of love dramas, which we're all, you know, we don't like to see ourselves in them, but we, we are there, is the more the partner retreats from this overwhelming, demanding neediness, it's not romance anymore, it's neediness, mm. he now feels stalked, and this is where stalking comes from, as the person gets the love addict, gets more and more obsessive and pursuing and even if, if the guy were to say, I can't cope with this, I must leave, this is where we often get revenge and, and, right. and all this yeah. drama of, of, I'll get even with the guy, you know, he owes me this, yeah. because they're so hooked on and this. So how do relationships like this usually end? Or, or you know, what's huh. the, the pattern? Sometimes that, tragedy. Yeah. I mean, what's yeah. the pattern oh, that, well, that it goes, or the cycle that it goes through? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, dramas are, are littered with how these end. Um, they, they tend to last about nine months, in my experience, before they blow up. At this point, the partner, who may have become also under so much pressure that they've gone into the intensity of another addiction, often co-addicts at, uh, attract in this situation. Um, so the, the, our partner, who's not into the, intensity, into the intensity of the relationship or can't deal with the intimacy demand, goes off into a rival drama of intensity. So might start drinking more, might mm. start, um, if he's a sex addict, might start acting out with that, might start doing cocaine, you know, might anything to deal with the... To uh, numb know, he's, the he's, he's, he's feeling enmeshed right. in this relationship. Remember, he's, he's replaying something from his past too, and, and it's hard for him to pull out often and, and pull away, so he's trying to medicate himself and stay with it. So it's very hard for both sides to stay, and often it will turn around. You, you can often have both doing both at once. So the love addict runs after the love avoidant, um, and then the love avoidant runs away. And then often they'll both stop. And then the love avoidant, who also can have a, a fear of abandon, will often run back after the mm. love addict. So we all know these hot relationships right. which go on, off, on, off, on, off. That's kind of what's going on. Like mm. people who've been together seven years on and off and it's yeah. really intense and then yeah. they're... And they're addicted to that drama. And yeah. sometimes as friends are like, well, just, you know, yeah, wash you your just, hands clean. And they, they can't seem to do that and they mm. keep wanting to get back together because there's still a huge attraction on both sides both crave intimacy they just don't know how to get it as an adult yeah well we will leave at this and we'll continue with this riveting chat uh, on uh, this friday afternoon on the agenda cafe uh, with anna fenton and also karen co we'll uh, go to a quick song and then afterwards perhaps we can talk a little bit more about managing uh, and also the treatment uh, of uh, love addiction as well I pledge my cat 
And that was Robert Palmer with Addicted to Love on RTHK Radio 3. Welcome back. You're listening to the Agenda Cafe this afternoon. Appropriate song because we are talking about love and relationship addiction. And we're joined by Anna Fenton, who's head counsellor of The Cabin Hong Kong. So, Anna, before the break, we were talking about... Um, how love addicts come about, you know, wh- why this happens to them. And you were talking about trauma or abandonment in childhood. And what is that, what's the implications for parenting then? As a parent, what should you not be doing or what should you be doing in order to prevent your kids from growing up and, and becoming like this? Okay, well, first of all, if we could just clarify, is trauma with a small t, as in developmental trauma, not being blown up by a terrorist bomb? Um, and it's abandonment as in anything that is a less than nurturing environment for the child. So this covers the whole gamut from neglect to smothering, if you can imagine. Both are unhealthy. Ideally, there's a sweet spot in the middle where you nurture your child, but you're, you're not all over them. You know, they need to learn to make their own mistakes and, and learn to trust in themselves. Now, children who don't receive this very steady calm form of parenting from their two major caregivers, which doesn't have to be mom and dad, it could be mom and mom or dad and dad, it doesn't really matter. It's just be stable influences in their life who are who don't waver. Remember, as humans, we have to have this attachment until we're 16. Unlike most species, this is going on for years and years and years. Any breach in that, which can be bullying, a divorce, a death, someone moves away, anything is experienced by a child as a disruption in that attachment. So that child needs more than ever to receive from its parents that they matter just for being wonderful, gorgeous little them. They don't only get praise for the dragon mom for for winning prizes or, or getting great grades. They need to be praised just for being who they are and celebrated for their own uniqueness so they can have a self a self of self-esteem that comes direct from their parents. If we give a child the message that they only matter to us and we only praise them when they do things, they feel like a human doing, not a human being. And they start to think, oh, I must be flawed as me because I only get praise when I'm doing something. There must be something wrong with me. Mm. Now, this may sound illogical, but almost all addicts would have this what we call core belief of believing I'm flawed, I'm worth less than. Now, coming out of that comes a nasty one, which is... Therefore, if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. So they start to feel unlovable. So they feel like they're inadequate. Yeah, um, and, basically. And that's something that, that is subtly messaged to them throughout their childhood. And if we are unlucky enough to have parents who also are not good at esteeming themselves and also are not great at boundaries and self-protection in an emotional sense, boundaries are how we protect ourselves from what other people could do to us, right? If we have parents who also have weak boundaries and are not good at understanding how to esteem their children because they themselves were not esteemed, this then becomes a generational disease. Mm. So do you actually see that? Like the children of um, what we're calling love addicts falling into the same pattern because that's all they've ever seen in their own parents? Well, if we, I, I'm, I'm, they're not, I'm normally not seeing them that long, but if we go back up the line and I ask them about their parents' relationship, I can normally find a rupture there and then, you know, um, messed up caregiving of some description or another. Now, there's now new studies on even the effects of boarding school, of sending a child away, what that does to them think about it mm, you know you're yeah. suddenly taken away from your mom and dad age six or seven or eight or even older 10 or 11 that that's a big wrench in a child's life so yeah. is this kind of condition very common 
Is it, yes. is it one of those things that look we, around your friends? We see, but we don't actually talk about look it. Look within but, ourselves. Yeah, but it, maybe it is. I think if we all look into our own past, we can find a, a little bit of a love addicty relationship somewhere where we we did some stupid things, like we stalked somebody a bit too much on Facebook, or we we called you know we called them too often, or we we sat by the phone waiting for it to ring. All this kind of stuff, you know, we've all done it to one degree or another. But when you need Prince Charming to come and rescue you just to feel okay in life, then we're in a different place. Mm. What about having overly critical parents or, you know, ha- will that also affect us as well, that, that we seek validation? Absolutely. Um, That's a self-esteem killer. If you've got, if, if the two people who you rely on to just love you and treasure you criticize you that's devastating because where are you going to get your self-worth from if not from them and a lot of the times examples that i've seen uh, with friends is that uh, mums are very critical with the daughter but then that mum the grandma then is less critical to the grandchild so then the mother will then say what why were you so critical with me but not critical with your granddaughter and feel jealous and and you know really questions and messes with your head i've you know friends are like that in that situation like why was she so critical with me but not so much with my uh grand uh, with With her her granddaughter yeah yeah oh you know if we get into the dynamics of family uh, systems. Families are systems, remember, of how everyone interrelates. You can draw diagrams of how they interrelate. This kind of intergenerational stuff. Because remember, the pressure is off a grandmother. Mm. She's done all her responsible child-rearing. She so can she now can sit back and spoil the exactly. child happily. Or criticise. <laughs> or do anything. She doesn't really have a vested interest anymore and she gets to give the child back at the end of the day. Mm. I want to go back to something uh, you talked about earlier, Anna, and that's about the internet. You know, has the internet uh, become a bit of an enabler uh, for... for, for uh, love addicts to well not yeah for, for love addicts to to seek love overseas and to seek that validation absolutely the internet has speeded up all addictions you know we now yes. see people who can't put their two-year-olds that can't put their phone down i mean this is terrifying for the future if you see a two-year-old going into a withdrawal when the helper takes away their phone imagine what they're going to be like age 12 just think about that but with love addicts oh dear it's like it's like crack cocaine for them. You've got what appears to be a shopping basket of, of people on dating apps. Mm-hmm. You don't get to know them properly. They only show you a version of themselves, a Prince Charming, that they want to show you. And if you've ever had any experience of being catfished, and I let myself be scammed for, for an SCMP story a couple of years ago, they very carefully, these guys, fed me the lines they thought I wanted to know. Now remember the target, listen up ladies, the target age for these guys is 40 to 65 year old um, spinsters. And they're they're pretty quick in the first engagements to ask you, are you single? Have you ever been married? Because if you're divorced, they're not so interested. They, They want ideally someone who's never been married and is usually single. They also look, they're I- yeah. Because they're idealised. Yes. These are, view these of are relationship. the ladies who read romance novels at home, typically. Mm. And want to be And dream in the dream. Yeah. So they now set about being your dream. And remember, you're vulnerable. So they tend to use techniques of, of love bombing you, of, of supplying you with um, unconditional positive regard, lots of loving language. They're attentive. They're constantly messaging you. And then they'll alternate that with um, with being nasty or or not talking Mm. to you for a day or two. So you go into a bit of a panic because your drug is being withdrawn. So then when they come back again, you don't sort of say, well, you're not very reliable, I don't want to talk to you. You're just delighted and you've got a flood of of, of endorphins and dopamine and pleasure that they've come back. And so they can get you hooked on that cycle. 
of fear and love bombing, fear and love bombing. This is very dangerous. Now, how that works then is after a while, when you're hooked, this is not new psychology. This is old. They're just using a new platform to do it. So when they come back and say, okay, you know, we've built up this beautiful romantic dream and they're feeding you everything you want to hear, they will then say, oh, you know, I'd love to come and see you, but, you know, I, I just didn't get paid this month on, on a contract. So, you know, I'm in Saudi. I can't quite make it. But, you know, if you could forward me um, five, six thousand dollars, you know, I could buy the air ticket and we could be together next month. So you think they always use a small amount of money at first mm. or a, a pitched on what they think you earn or what would be. Remember, they've researched who you are because you, without realizing it, have given away a lot about yourself. So they then get you to give over that small amount of money. But of course, that's not enough. So over the next few weeks, oh, dear, there's, there's another disaster. Something happened. I need a bit more. And psychologically, if you've already given some money, you'll feel more likely to give more because you think, well, I gave right. in for a penny, in for a pound. You know, the I already gave five. Yeah. What's another five? Before you know it, you've parted with large chunks of money. And you now realize with a sinking feeling that, you know, you're out of control in this. And the worst thing that's happening now is you're feeling ashamed. So you're not going to call your brother or your mother or your best friend and go, hey, hey, Karen, look what I've done. Mm. You know, I'm really, really feeling stupid here. You're not going to do that. So now he's kind of got you. Are they are the scammers always about money or, or are they sometimes just doing it because they can and they want to hurt you emotionally? Uh, I would say that would be five percent. Most of these are businesses. Uh, and they're doing a combination of scams. They would be doing CEO scams. So the same guy that's doing you has a target and a schedule. So he's got maybe five cases that he's working on, and he may be sitting so organized. Yeah, yeah. He's sitting organized in an internet crime, cafe yeah. in Lagos, or a lot of them are in Malaysia now, and mm -hmm. also Toronto, because the police helped me with mine, and they were able to track the VPNs. But they were changing them all the time, or the ISP, whatever you call yeah. them. So I'm not a techie. Um, yeah, no, very calculated. I could see three people were working my case because they came on at different time zones, which uh, mm -hmm. corresponded with uh, European time or Nigerian time. And they also had different grammar. One only used um, lowercase with no full stops. Another one used um, a lot of capitals and another used perfect English spelling. But they all posed as the same person. They all person. posed as the same, same person. Name. And didn't you sort of pick up on that? Absolutely straight away. Right. Yeah. Did you say how come you... Yeah. What did well, they say? I did and I didn't. I acted like a kind of miffed... Innocent. Um, innocent. Right. And sure. the guy kept writing back to me saying, I can't believe someone like you is as dumb as you make out. Yeah. And then when they were trying to make me transfer the money, I kept pretending that it, it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And HSBC actually gave me a dummy slip to say that the transaction had failed. Oh, so really? I sent that going, look, I tried to send the money, look. <laughs> and, and then he got so angry, he rang me on WhatsApp. And this guy who was pretending to be a Swedish dentist in London or Manchester, I think, that's who he pretended to be, had a very strong African accent. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, I was in no, um, under no illusions who I was really dealing with. And he was probably only about 15 years of age. Most of these are kids. Uh, they're they're very young. Yes, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Uh, we, we did have uh, Jules Hannaford, who, who actually wrote about her own experiences of being scammed twice, uh, fooled me twice is her book and also her podcast. And uh, I think, I believe, episode nine, she managed to get... Um, a, a scammer on and he I think he was only 22 yeah. he was very young and after speaking to the scammer she felt quite she felt she quite sorry for him for oh no <laughs> um, anyway it was, I didn't feel but, sorry for mine because he ended up threatening me but, oh, and I, you know the people these women say in this age group it's not like they have no life experience they're not stupid why is it that they fall so easily for this because they don't have love in their life 
they're lonely. You know, loneliness is the epidemic here, really. And our lives, even with the Internet, is more and more about loneliness and isolation. And all addiction has isolation at its, yeah. at its root. And before the internet, we had, you know, old men with a lot of money who would hook up with a young girl. You know, that's quite cliche, but precisely yeah. that. You or know, maybe she gave him the attention. Who would say, send me money. Yeah. Right. But we have that thing too. You mm. know, the, 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 the young fluffy girlies in, in China who are hooking up with rich older guys in Hong Kong online. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, because people are lonely. Yeah, because they are lonely. They're compensated yeah. or they we, want things. Yeah, yeah, it's about connection. Yeah. You know, we are social apes wired for connection. We're, we're designed to live in groups and troops and we don't do that anymore. So we've got 10 minutes yeah. before the news. Let's talk about treatment. Surely, like any addiction, um, there's a form of treatment for it. Absolutely. The first thing is understanding that this is my problem. Now that's going to rely on you having uh, brave friends um, and also a, self, a, de a degree of self-awareness also. Um, often they would end up in the psychiatrists or the doctors because the depression of the withdrawal is awful. Imagine your drug's been taken away from you, your husband, your boyfriend has just had enough of your clingy neediness or your stalking or whatever ridiculous way your relationship has come to an end. So you feel absolutely desperate. And that's when they would come and see me. You know, I, I'm just, mm. I don't know how to pick myself up off the floor. Remember, these are people who don't know how to care for themselves or deal with their own needs. They're looking for other people to do this. So they need to understand that jumping into another relationship will just perpetuate the ultimate pain. So we have uh, things called 12-step groups uh, for addicts. Now, there's one for sex and love addicts called SLA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. They meet on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights in Hong Kong. You can Google it, SLA, S-L-A-A. -A. They're free. It's a fellowship, and you can work a, a very good 12-step program, which will help mm. you recover. Is that, and that's based on the um, AA 12-step program? 12-step uh, program, yeah. programs are 146 of them. Wow. Everything from nail polish sniffing to alcoholism to cocaine to love to sex. You, and it's you the, the same 12 steps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, variations on the same right. idea. So in principle, you never really recover from it. You'll, oh, yes. you'll stay no, you an do. addict. You do, yes. you do. Or you come and see an addiction-aware therapist. So please make sure your, your therapist has experience of addiction because it's a very different thing. To it's a just, very specific, yes. specialized thing. Yes, and, and in particular, these people would have problems with five things underlying. First of all, difficulty with esteeming self, and that we've already talked mm -hmm. about. That's come from less than perfect parenting. They would also have difficulty with boundaries. What does that mean? That means inability to put rules in life in place around my life that protect me from other people. So that if I, I did have somebody who treated me badly, instead of Same running stop. after them more, I'd go, stop, don't mm. treat me like that. I, I, I'm not prepared to put up with this. Um, and it's that degree of self-protection that we find weak in these people very typically. Then there is this inability to understand how to meet my own needs and self-care. Uh, which is looking after myself. You know, when a love addict is in full swing, they don't, they neglect their work, they neglect the, even their children. So a love addict with a new boyfriend and, and she's a single mom, who's going to suffer? Her kids. Right. She becomes completely engrossed in her new partner, so for example. So she's not functioning. Exactly. Right. Lose sight of the, the pillars in their life very quickly, can end up bankrupt in the worst cases because they lose their jobs. Or, or go, you know, start to do, get arrested even for stalking. This is not unusual. So then we have neediness, can't meet their own needs. And then we have a lack of moderation, inability to be moderate in an adult way. So 
overreacting like all the calls or yelling at your partner because they're not meeting your needs or being under expressive and under assertive and, and not speaking up and, and saying what you need to say. So they, they would benefit a lot from addressing all of these issues and becoming more resilient as people and able to meet their own needs and not to need other people in this desperate way. Yeah. yeah. If you have a friend or a family member who you think, you know, maybe a love addict, how do you sort of intervene? Because sometimes it's so difficult to point it out to that person because that person will be like, no, you know, like yeah. you said, denial. And it's very personal to them. Yeah. yeah. And, and to them it's like, no, I've really met somebody. Um, you should be happy for me rather than telling me um, this isn't real. Um, so how can we Tricky. gently... Depending on the nature of the rapport you have with that person and their ability to to handle the truth, uh, I would very gently say, well, hey, you know what? I'm just wondering, is, is there a bit of a pattern here? And try and help them to look at the evidence of their own life. There's nothing like actually looking at what your own history tells you. Because remember, advice is free. And we're not going to listen to our friends, probably. But when someone shines a light on what we've done ourselves and go, you know what? I'm seeing a parallel here with with what happened before. And this sounds a little bit like how that one ended. So, you know, I'm wondering what, 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 what you couldn't have learned from these previous relationships that did not end well. And try and get them to understand by looking at themselves that there, there could be a better way to go about this. Mm. Like, like with other addictions, though, is it something that this kind of person will always be vulnerable to? Yes, absolutely. But 12-step programs or any therapy will teach you self-awareness and tools to self-care and improve what we call resilience and how to become emotionally sober. Remember, a lot of us are, are kind of drunk on our own emotions when we're in these states, and it's how to understand our own emotions, that we do have the power to regulate and moderate our own emotions once we learn how to do it. Mm. Self-control, you know. And, do you, and so do you think that um, when people do start to get that awareness, they build up their self-esteem, can they go on to have a normal, healthy relationship with someone? Definitely. Definitely. I see great recovery with love addicts and with sex addicts if they're prepared to do the work. But they need to keep their, le their level of awareness up that they are vulnerable to a massive great love bomb landing on their head. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you yeah. suspect you're a love or a sex addict or know someone, uh, you now you after hearing this program, you know how to support them. Or you can also uh, see Anna as well, Anna Fenton, who is the head counsellor at The Cabin Hong Kong. Uh, the Cabin uh, is an outpatient addiction treatment centre. Meanwhile, thank you very much for your time, Anna, yeah. uh, this week. Anna, thank, thank you. you so much and happy Valentine's Day. Oh. <laughs> thank thanks, you very sorry. much, Karen. And uh, thanks for our listeners on Facebook Live. You can revisit visit uh, the interview as well uh, on Facebook Live, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3 uh, or also on the Radio 3 homepage. You can listen back to the uh, podcasts uh, for the Agenda Cafe.